everyone. Welcome back to the Leadership Podcast, where we talk about the social responsibility of business leaders through the lens of the week's news and try to figure out who is getting it right and who is stepping in it this week. I'm Caleb Gardner. And I'm Adrielle Parker. This week, we're going to go over the latest political news, look at the results of the last couple of elections in the Republican primary. Surprise, surprise. They were not that surprising. <laughs> we're going to go over how Americans are feeling about the economy and our general economic vibes right now. Then we're going to dive into some specific business stories, including about Walmart and Google and Wayfair layoffs and Boeing's continued troubles. Do not get on a plane right now. And then we are going to <laughs> deep dive into AI and politics and the general state of our information ecosystem and ask ourselves, what's going on with DEI? Mm. I know that you're thrilled <laughs> to talk about that, Adriel. How, how are you today? I'm I'm okay today. I'm okay today. I think you know every day is is unpredictable at this point, uh, especially working I in the DEI that. space. But we're just pushing on. How are you doing? I hear that. Same. I feel like it's been a little bit up or down for our family. Just a lot of like a lot of family time. Just like a lot of things going on with my kids and just taking a lot of my mental space. And so, honestly, just happy to be here. Happy to like keep going. Yeah, I think that's been the sp headspace that I've been in the last you. couple weeks is like, you know what, every every day is a gift. And so I'm going to look go. at it like that. <laughs> I love the positivity <laughs> and the optimism. It's weird that I get into these really busy seasons with work. Mm -hmm. And then I just remember how much I actually enjoy my work, even when it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, so I'm also just grateful to like, you know, have a career where I enjoy the things I'm doing. That's good. So yeah. that helps give me a little bit of perspective. Definitely, definitely. Well, we have a lot of news to cover today. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know who doesn't enjoy what he's doing? Ron DeSantis. Oh, goodness. My who goodness. dropped out of the Republican presidential primary mm -hmm. after coming in second in Iowa. Mm -hmm. Nikki Haley came in third and then went on to lose in New Hampshire just last night as we're recording this. Yep. So it's looking like Trump. Teflon done. It's looking like Trump. Isn't that what they call it's it? funny because like we've been covering I say we being the media. Yeah, you and I are part of the media. <laughs> the media has been covering the Republican presidential primary as if it's a race. Yeah, it's never been a race. Mm. It just it just hasn't. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trump's been like polling above 50 percent every everywhere. Yeah. In every state that matters. And of course, Nikki Haley last night kind of had to say, I'm not dropping out. This is going to be a race. We're going to we're going to uh... keep going. But I mean, let's be honest. She's I, I predict that she'll drop out within the week. Right, right. I just don't I just do not see a path for her. And yeah. it is just looking like a Biden Trump matchup like we always thought it was gonna be. Yeah, yeah. No I mean, no surprise for us, but perhaps other people were were still holding on <laughs> to some some little ounce of hope. But yeah, yeah, definitely saw that coming. I mean, if you know anything about how the political system works, you just knew this was the inevitable outcome. It doesn't mean we have to like it. Right. But just based on the inevitability of Trump's popularity, you know, his like grip on a lot of the Republican Party, this is just where we were going to go. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. nobody in the Republican Party has really stood up to him or like made a case besides for a couple of people who are now pariahs within the party. It's funny because uh, some of my international friends, whenever I travel internationally, I'm doing speaking gigs out there, of course, because they know I worked for Obama, I get asked about the state of American politics. Mm -hmm. And every time I'm like, oh, it'll be Trump or Biden again. They're like, surely not. Like, how could that possibly be the case? Mm -hmm. And I have to kind of back them into how our system works. And they're always so surprised by it. Yeah, yeah. I think, I don't know, if, I, what, what's been terrifying me about this upcoming election, at least from what I've seen on social, are the amount of people that are pretty upfront and saying they're not going to vote. And I'm like, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Yeah. This is not the time. Um, so that's pretty scary to see. I didn't follow the election like that on social before now. So maybe that was a thing previously, but it's scary to see. And I don't, I don't think those folks understand how politics work and that that's not actually going to help our case. Yeah. I mean, there's partly that. There's partly just un a little bit of understandable like cynicism and disillusionment oh, yeah. when you've got these two guys in their 70s and 80s, mm -hmm. the oldest candidates ever to run for president, 
two back-to-back elections and you are kind of a young person like trying to find a reason to be optimistic about the political system i get it right but you're right if you're not really paying attention to policy positions or like actual outcomes or anything like that or even if you are but but you are you know kind of radically one direction or the other especially kind of radically left and disillusioned about you know what obama or not obama (laughs) that's funny What Biden has achieved as it relates to Israel and Gaza, Mm -hmm. for example, or we we talked a lot about these structural problems with the economy and not feeling like you really are able to get a leg up. Again, I kind of get it. But the message of like, look at the big picture and swallow your vote and do the right thing. Yeah. You know, is it like a positive, enthusiastic one? Right, right. Definitely. Oh, well, we're in for a ride. It's making a lot of us very nervous about the outcome in November, including the leaders of Davos. I saw this week Davos has been happening, which talk about the world's elite are basically like assuming that Trump is going to be reelected. A lot of the business community is just like starting to assume Trump's going to be reelected and try to figure out what what would that mean? Do you think he'll be reelected? What do you if you were to if you were to put money on it right now, Adriel, I'd actually be interested (laughs) to know what you think. I don't want to admit it, but I think that's what's going to happen. And I definitely don't want that to happen. But I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everyone needs to know that that is a real possibility. Very real. And and if you if you back into it, there's a real possibility he could be indicted and be reelected. Mm-hmm. There's a real possibility he could be literally in prison and be reelected. That's not funny, but it is because it's just like, how we did have, we get here? How? We, exactly. We have never been in this kind of position before right. as a country. Right. It is very, it feels very repetitive because of 2020, but actually this year is going to be very unique mm-hmm. in that we've got a front runner for a major party who is facing like several, like a lot of felony indictments and several overlapping trials right. while running a presidential campaign. Yeah. The one... I guess if you want to call it a silver lining in the polls that I've seen is Mm -hmm. that there are a significant amount, including last night in New Hampshire, of exit polling saying that if Trump were to be indicted, would that change your mind about voting for him? Mm -hmm. And a significant amount of people, I think it was like 40% of the people who voted for him last night said, yes, that would change my mind about voting for him. So we'll see. I just don't understand how the possibility of this man being indicted isn't enough. Like you need it to actually happen. Like, I, I don't understand how the possibility of like what he has already been convicted of isn't enough. I mean, we are literally redoing a sexual assault trial with E. Jean Carroll right now. Yep. And it is on paper that he sexually assaulted this woman. One of the judges called it rape. Like they just came out and called it that. Said it, what is it was a documented fact mm-hmm. according to the courts. And he is still the front runner for the Republican Party and likely to be the nominee. I, you know, it, that part, that doesn't surprise me, unfortunately. I remember reading this report about how there's like, there were all these research studies about how white men in particular are extremely protected starting in like high school and college days when it comes to mm. committing sexual assault and anything that is related to rape or connected in any way and how... Um, a lot of victims are kind of their their reports are dismissed in higher ed. So and that continues into the professional and corporate spaces. Um, and it, it is particularly prevalent when it comes to like Ivy Leagues and families that are well off and that may contribute to the schools and all that. So it, it doesn't surprise me. It does not surprise me at all. And we it, it feels like we're normalizing sexual assault and, and rape like that's just okay and it doesn't affect your ability to become a president not even the head of a company but the president of a country yeah. of the united states it's it's pretty unreal to wrap your head around it is i mean it's kind of it's kind of sad to think that after me too mm-hmm. it felt like that era was over a little bit you mm-hmm, know like it mm-hmm. felt like this is we're entering a new era of accountability for this kind of behavior sure but it's sad to look back and realize that was a moment mm-hmm. and it didn't actually change a lot. It's just that we need more like it moved the needle. But actually, we need a lot of me too's over and over again to right. really make a significant difference. Yeah, 
we see that all the time, right? I mean, Black Lives Matter is another example of that. It felt like it was this huge exactly. thing after the murder of George Floyd in May 2020. And then it's just kind of, I don't know. It's, it's, I mean, we'll talk about it more as it relates to DEI today. But yeah, we need more than just those, those little tiny moments. They're not enough to really That's right. unpack and unlearn a lot of the behaviors and, and kind of, I don't want to say correct, but adjust the systems because a lot of it is systemic. Yeah. It, it's it's less so the individual. I mean, yes, individual behaviors need to change, but it's the systems that are allowing this to perpetuate over and over. That's right. If we think about the moral arc of the universe bending towards justice, the actual line of that bend is kind of like two steps forward, one step back over <laughs> and over again, right? Yeah. Like it's a little bit almost cyclical in that way. Yeah. And I think that's the moment we're in right now. Mm -hmm. And also relates to some of the DEI and ESG stories we've been talking about, which you'll get into a little bit later. Yeah. So let's just put a pin in this super depressing segment <laughs> by, <laughs> oh. by uh, talking about the state of the economy, because that has a huge impact on Biden's chances. So the stock market is reaching an all-time high, which a lot of, of course, are super wealthy are celebrating. I think you and I have had a little bit of a eye roll on that in terms of what it means to the everyday American. But we are seeing stories coming out saying that sentiment is starting to change about the economy. People are starting to feel more optimistic. I think that's because some prices are easing in some sectors of the economy. I think it's because the Fed is floating the idea of rate cuts, which means that buying a house is going to start to get easier. You know, you see these like small glimmers of hope that I think are finally starting to add up to something. And so I know the Biden campaign is looking at this news being like, thank God, because if it had, if inflation had hit like it did last year, this year, those chances of a Trump victory would definitely be even higher. But I think because it's easing, that's putting the pressure on Biden's economic message. It's take, taking the pressure off, I should say. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. Definitely makes sense. Yeah, it's... I'm curious to see what this this data looks like and these what these reports are going to look like in the coming months as we continue to see more and more layoffs and if people are still going to feel that way. Yeah, for sure. Speaking of the inflation last year, there continues to be data, and one of which is pretty strong, saying that half of recent U.S. inflation is due to high corporate profits. We've talked over and over again on this pod about the effect of corporate profits on inflation. And it seems like we just get more and more evidence that actually this this article calls it greedflation, greedflation. is what was driving it, which means that we just pushed prices higher and higher because people would keep buying. Uh huh. Not yeah. great. No, not great, Adriel. Not at all. Not at all. But it makes sense. I mean, especially when you have things that bring some sort of exclusivity like the Stanley Cup, for example, right, where people are just going to go for it. They don't care how much it costs. They just they want it. They have to have it. I don't get I do not get the Stanley Cup trend. Can you explain this to me? Because I keep seeing it on social media and I'm like, isn't that just a water bottle? Like, I don't, <laughs> what is what is so cool about the Stanley Cups? I mean, I think it has a similar appeal to Beanie Babies or back when like Jordans were like the thing. And and I mean, there are still sneakers that they only do limited edition releases of and items, other things, bags, right? Telfar yeah. is a good example where they only release a certain number of those bags. And I think social media has allowed to create enough buzz and marketing that it's like, oh my gosh, it's this really cool exclusive thing and you want to get your hands on it so you can be the first to have it, right? There's there's that whole like need to be first and to like be an influencer and to show off. And I think it's a similar thing. And Stanley Cups have been around for a very long time, but I think they really took off after a few like viral videos. I think one we may have talked about when someone got into a like car accident and there was like a fire and the Stanley Cup was like one of the only things that survived, right? And I saw that. Yeah, yeah, the the CEO or founder, I can't remember who, was like, hey, we're going to send you a new cup. Like, thanks so much. And it was free advertising. And from that point on, it was like Stanley Cup mania. And I think it's, you know, we're also in this loneliness epidemic and people are thirsty and hungry for community. And it's a way to like form community. It's like we're, we're all going after this thing and we love Stanley. Oh, Cups that's an interesting. We're connection. collecting things. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it is yeah. kind of like a status symbol. Yeah, you can like relate to people about it. So basically, it's it's a visible collectible that's having its moment. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, it'll probably be worth pennies in a couple of years. But sure. 
it just feels like uh, I mean, maybe this is my just kind of general consumer skepticism, but it just feels like one of those things that like it surely can't be worth the money for the effectiveness. Do you mm-hmm, know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there are lots of things that will carry my water or my liquids. It's kind of like there's a like people that will buy three hundred dollar bottles of wine that basically taste the same as a thirty dollar bottle or those super expensive down coats mm-hmm. where it's like it can it actually keep you warmer than a down coat bought at the gap i'd probably not no I mean, it'll last longer don't get me wrong it'll last longer but again it's like a an effect of like how much money are you paying just for a status symbol for sure for sure did you guys see that the wire cutter looked to stand the cups and they leak way more than like every other water bottle out there no of course they do <laughs> oh. oh goodness oh that's even worse honestly Oh, man, that's even worse. Anyway, we're off track. Back to the week's <laughs> news. One thing that I that caught my eye this week I want to chat with you about is I saw that um, we're obviously going through this big round of layoffs. Yes. Google's laying off more people this year. Wayfair is laying off more people. There's been a lot of media layoffs, including at the LA Times. Mm-hmm. Wayfair is prioritizing people who work remotely, which I think is kind of bullshit, um, given what we've talked about with remote work. So it's basically saying if you're not coming into the office, you're going to be first on the chopping block. Right. Come on. Yeah. But what got my attention this week wasn't so much that, which is, I think, par for the course. And like you said, may be an interesting kind of economic effect we see this year and how it how, you know, more people being laid off. Mm-hmm. But actually, Walmart and Google have been targeting people who work in their innovation units. So Google had this famous, you know, company for a long time called X, which is part of the Alphabet's, you know, I should say Alphabet, not Google, had a a company called X, which is basically their innovation hub that has produced some of their coolest things over the years, to Mm -hmm. be honest. And Walmart had put together a division called Number 8, which was basically meant to come up with new ideas to catch up and compete with Amazon. And basically, again, to kind of spur innovation, these are basically these skunk works departments that were beyond the kind of normal business unit that was meant to come up with these new and innovative ideas. Right. Not a new idea by any means, but celebrated in a lot of ways. as like the way that we're going to spend money on innovation. Well, guess what? Economic downturn. We need to cut some people off. And these are the first targeted units to go. Yeah. Does this surprise you? Like, I was actually, I was actually pretty surprised, especially by Google, because Google has been known for this investment and known for, you know, X for a long time. Yeah, So I was surprised by this. It does surprise me. To your point, like that, that team, or I guess department, I don't know how they kind of refer to them, has come up with some pretty cool stuff. And so I am shocked, actually, that they're pulling back. I I would have expected them to make cuts in other places. Uh, And, you know, it seems like they are doing that, too. Um, Right, right. Evidenced by them telling the CEO saying that they're likely laying off even more people this year. And so it makes me wonder, are are they kind of, does that mean that they're putting this innovation onto other teams and departments and expecting them to do it? Are they leaning more Mm. into AI, which they've talked quite a bit about? I think one of the things they said is that they want to, by the end of this year, I think their goal for this year, and maybe it's, no, I think it might be looking ahead to 2026 is to like become the most or to have the most innovative and ethical AI platform. And so I'm like, I'm curious to see how that's going to go and what that's going to look like when you're cutting one of the most diverse teams that you have. So who knows? Honestly, to make a more ethical product, you need more people. Right. To give you input. (laughs) I mean, especially with AI. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of an ironic like, oh, we want to make the most ethical AI and we're going to use the least amount of people to do it. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that math works. Well, not sure that math maths, <laughs> as the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, we'll we'll see. I guess what happens, but it, I can't help but think back to our conversation with Bob Sutton about mm-hmm. Google's bureaucracy and how bad it's gotten. And yeah. I wonder if this is a little bit this this the layoffs in general are a little bit of a comeuppance because of that. Definitely, I I could see that for sure. It's a, it's certainly a different culture than it was even just five six years ago. Yeah, and I think it's just proof that every company goes through stages. Like, doesn't matter if you're the most innovative company, mm-hmm. like, you can stagnate. You can, you know, like, get into a groove that feels very safe and, you know, kind of lose your edge if you're not careful. Absolutely. I think Google is, 
if not on the verge of it, tiptoeing into those waters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Definitely. Okay, we have to talk. Last story before we get into our deep dives. We have to talk (laughs) about this. Is Boeing okay? (laughs) What is happening at Boeing? Oh, gosh. I have to take a flight next week. And I'm like, I need to go check to see which plane. (laughs) I'm like terrified. Right? Oh, my goodness. I mean, this is stuff that's been brewing for years. It's just, it, it blows my mind that they've gotten away with shortcutting and risking safety. Like, how many people have to approve these things? And say, yeah, that's yeah. fine. You can go ahead and fly. What does the quality control look like? Like, has it been just cut back to the point of like, they got away with it so long and now it's kind of all just coming to a head? Perhaps. I just, I, it's wild. So so we should back up and give context that a few weeks ago, we actually didn't even talk about the story. A few weeks right. ago, an entire side of the plane came off of an Alaska Airlines flight just as it was leaving the ground. And it turns out that this was a structural issue in Boeing 737 MAX 9s. Mm-hmm. And all of them got grounded while they went through and basically like tightened bolts, mm-hmm. right? Like, didn't that end up being the issue? Was that like all these bolts were loose yep. on all of these Boeing planes? Yep. Well, then just this week, the nose wheel of a Boeing 757 jet fell off and rolled away while the plane was waiting on the runway. And this was a Delta Airlines flight. Yep. So, like, there's already been a lot of these stories about how Airbus, which is Boeing's biggest competitor, is mm-hmm. benefiting from all these Boeing yep. missteps. But, ooh, not a good look for all these negative Boeing stories right in a row. No. Oh, and you forgot, last week there was also the 747 cargo jet. <laughs> That was spewing flames over Miami. So it's been back to back for them. Good God. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's bad. Yeah. That's real bad. Yeah. It's pretty terrifying stuff. Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying as a consumer who's like going on flights. And and there was, you know, United Airlines the, the, this last week was saying basically they're expecting a down quarter in Q1 mm. largely because of this, because so many of their flights are Boeing flights and they're having to ground them or Sure. Delay them while they do these extra safety checks. Mm -hmm. So there was also separately a story about how Ford is recalling 2 million explorers over fears of pieces flying off while driving. Oh, wow. Did you see this? No, I didn't. Yeah. So they're recalling 1.9 million Explorer SUVs in the U.S. because trim pieces can fly off and create a hazard for other drivers. Yeah, no shit. And it made me think like between Boeing's manufacturing process, Mm -hmm. the quality control issues, and then Ford having these manufacturing quality control issues. Sure. What happened to the structure of the manufacturing process in the last probably five to 10 years? And all I can think of is that like, is this a pandemic effect? Are there connections between like, basically having to cut back or trim, you know, quality control in some of this manufacturing because they didn't have as much money or they didn't have as many workers. Right. I don't know. I haven't seen any data actually connecting those dots. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this is happening in multiple different sectors of the economy, and it's all kind of related to these manufacturing quality control issues, makes me think maybe there was a bigger trend that we missed underlying where there were like cutbacks that are leading to some of this. Right, right. I'm curious to see how and if in that data, hopefully we'll see it at some point if automation has any role to play in that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, that would be interesting. You mean in terms of like, we automated the process, but then we missed a step when we were automating it. And because there were no humans there, we couldn't really gut check ourselves. Right, right. Or there was the expectation of, you know, a human is trusting whatever is being automated. And they're like, oh, the machine's got it. It's fine. I'm just standing here to make sure that it doesn't malfunction, which is essentially been the case of why a lot of manufacturing companies and and plants have incorporated automated tools and robots to reduce that sort of physical labor and extra work that people have to do. Oh, that is such a good point. Because at some point, the the inputs need to be adjusted, the process needs to be gut checked. And it is really easy when you've got a computer running something to just assume that it's doing the right thing and the computer doesn't know any better Mm -hmm. yes Mm -hmm. exactly that's fascinating and a great segue to our deep dives since mine is on ai but let why don't you tell us what your deep dive is on today oh goodness (laughs) well i am just gonna kind of give an overview of where we are currently with with dei and and i guess it, it always feels weird to call it the dei industry but it is an industry 
sure. you know, we've seen people keep calling it the anti-DEI movement, and I'm using air quotes right now. And there's been quite a bit of backlash. A lot of politicians have been talking about DEI more so than we've probably heard in previous years. Leaders of companies, Elon Musk, Mark Cuban have been seen on Twitter going back and forth about their thoughts around DEI. And New York Times just published an article that reads, America is under attack inside the anti-DEI crusade. So I just wanted to highlight a few things, at least from my perspective, and having spoken to a lot of DEI folks that are still out here, we're still doing the work. So I just want to provide some updates there. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, very related to things we've already talked about, but def- definitely interested to hear your thoughts on where we go in 2024. Yeah. So my deep dive, I want to talk about the effects of AI on politics and especially just kind of generally on our information ecosystem as we head into a political year. There was a big story this week ahead of the New Hampshire primary where a Biden robocall with the voice of President Biden was being generated and used to dissuade people from voting. Basically, the voice of President Biden saying, don't vote, don't vote this Tuesday, wait until November. And they discovered it was being generated by AI and they had to kind of come crack down on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that is just the like first blush of the potential things that we're going to see this year. And I kind of want to just talk about what we can anticipate this year in terms of being able to discern what is being generated by AI. What is the truth? How do we how do we navigate an information ecosystem going into a really important presidential election? when it has all gone to shit and it is being, to, to your point about what's being fed into the robots, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going to come out the other side? Who knows? Oh, gosh, that is so terrifying. I don't know if you saw or if you follow a company called Eleven Labs, but they are- No, I don't think so. So Eleven Labs is probably, I would say they're probably the, the biggest or most popular AI voice startup, and you can pretty much generate fake voices you could even submit your voice so that if you want to you know create a podcast with Caleb's voice and not have to actually record it you could just copy and paste some text or a script and it would basically read it in your voice but they just had I think they raised 80 million (laughs) in funds this was just announced a day ago so just hearing that is interesting and exciting but also terrifying to hear that people are sending these robocalls out. It is terrifying. And it, I think it's that's just one version of, I think, what we're going to see this year. Oh, yeah. Should we start there? Yeah, let's, let's start there. Let's do it. So besides for now wanting to feed my own voice into Eleven Labs and make myself <laughs> say things and probably be freaked out. <laughs> so I'll, I'll give you the story that was going around about this robocall. So the robocall, and I've heard, heard clips of this, and it sounds pretty good Uh like if you if you especially if you didn't know you should be listening for it like you know how if you know something's generated by ai you can kind of hear the like around the edges how it sounds fake you know in terms of the intonation or maybe something's not pronounced exactly right Mm -hmm. but if you're not looking for it this stuff can be pretty deceiving especially because one of the things fake biden on this robocall said was what a bunch of malarkey so whoever created this, <laughs> who says that? <laughs> President Biden famously says that, Gosh. and so, like whoever was writing this, knew you know his potential language quirks too. Yeah, you know, so you can tell there was a human element to this. Oh my goodness! So I think that you know, obviously, this kind of digital ma- manipulation is terrible, mm-hmm. but there's been people generating advertising with. AI generated imagery already. Mm-hmm. And some of them, like the Republican National Committee, actually bragging about it and calling it innovative. There's just been a lot of applications of this already. And there are some people trying to get out ahead of it from a regulatory standpoint. Mm-hmm. One of those companies trying to get out ahead of it is actually OpenAI itself. So the company famously behind ChatGPT mm-hmm. is now actually trying to put out policy that bans politicians and lobbyists from using ChatGPT for official campaign business. Hmm. So OpenAI sees the potential for abuse of their platform, and they're trying to say basically like you can't use it for this. Now, their policing of that is kind of questionable. Like how can you actually know if someone is an individual staffer at one of these campaigns 
going on to chat GPT to write this kind of content, like, there's only so much they can do to stop the bots from generating something that would be useful for a campaign. If you think about the long tail of the kinds of campaigns that are going to be run this year, it's not going to be just a presidential campaign. Mm -hmm. There'll be Senate campaigns, there'll be congressional campaigns, there'll be a ton of local and municipal elections. They can't police all of that. Impossible. Right? Yeah. So the application of this, I think is pretty questionable. But the fact that OpenAI is kind of coming out and at least saying we don't want it to be used like this mm -hmm. is, I think, indicative of how they can they see its potential for abuse. Right. That also doesn't stop anyone else like OpenAI who could create these tools relatively easily now and, and leverage them in that way. So, again, I we've talked about this quite a bit where... Where is the regulation here? Is there going to be any oversight anytime soon? I I know our government is slow, but it, it feels like this is the time for them to want to catch up and, and do something, anything to yeah. have some control over how these tools are being used. Because, I mean, we're at this point, it's like every hour we're seeing new AI tools and now we're seeing more and more ways that they can just inflict harm. And I, yeah. I don't even want to imagine like I, I can't I, I can't even wrap my head around the, the the Biden robocall. It's a simple concept, but it's like, wow, people are actually going to that extreme. Well, I think it's a good example of the way that AI can be used to manipulate. Like it's not just we're going to kind of generate thousands of pieces of content sure. written by AI or maybe like with AI deepfakes. And then a bunch of people are just going to fall for them. Mm -hmm. It's more about this targeted, insidious use of it in a way that sounds believable. Right. That I think is the scarier thing. And I think this this robocall was a good example of that, where mm -hmm. it's like you clearly had someone who understood not just how to like make it sound like Biden from a voice and inflection standpoint, but make it sound like it from the words fed into it and made it sound realistic enough. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. There is some movement on the federal level about this, like the FEC is trying to regulate deepfakes specifically, meaning the actual imagery created and used in some of these ad campaigns. Sure. That's different, obviously, than what you would do with ChatGPT, which is go and find copy, do research, you know, like do the things where it might actually help you create some like language mm -hmm. to be used in some of these things. But I think deep fakes is one of the things that makes a lot of people the most nervous because of, you know, the the potential for like seeing a video go viral and then finding out it was fake later. Right. Or right. seeing an image go viral and it really it is dropped at like the exact right time, let's say the night before an election or even the morning of an election. Mm -hmm. And it, there isn't time for the truth to catch up about that image being fake. Right. I think that's why they are trying to put in some safeguards. But I agree with you. I don't really think we're moving fast enough at this from a federal level and mm -hmm. definitely not from a state or local level. Definitely. We've kind of democratized the tools and the like safeguards around democracy haven't caught up. And mm -hmm. that's terrifying. Absolutely. Oh, goodness. There were a few states right last year that enacted some laws around deepfakes, I think. But I feel like I haven't heard much about I think that's them. right. Okay. So Michigan enacted a law back in November. It says it employs both a ban and a disclosure requirement. It, it says it prohibits the quote-unquote distribution of materially deceptive media 90 days prior to an election. That is really interesting. As of this article, which was published in December, that ban, however, will not be enforced if the material includes a disclosure stating that the media has been, quote unquote, manipulated. So you could have this tiny print <laughs> like at the way bottom that people don't read because most people don't read these days and they're scrolling too fast. That's right. That is very, very scary. And it looks yeah. like prior to 2023, California, Texas and Wisconsin were the only other states that had enacted legislation designed to tackle AI in elections. Yeah. Whew. Interesting. Not enough. From what I've read, they, it seems like states are trying to tackle it on two in two categories: disclosure sure. requirements and mm -hmm. bans. So, like banning it, obviously, altogether. But they often sometimes have exceptions or really easy ways to get around the ban. Mm -hmm. For example, like you said in Michigan, the law doesn't isn't enforced if disclosure has been shared and if the person responsible for the media doesn't know mm -hmm. that it quote falsely represents the people it depicts. 
And like, how do you prove whether or not you know or don't know that it's being falsified? Right, right. right. And then the disclosure requirements. I, I'm a little bit skeptical about this because, again, we don't tend to read the fine print on things that we do online mm -hmm. or even click through to be able to get the fine print. Right. I mean, technically, we've had disclosure requirements for like social media advertising or like brand partnerships for years. Yeah. But how easy it is now, like how how used to it and how easy is it now? Are we to like discern what is actually a brand partnership and is not like I don't think I think it's now become such white noise that we don't really care that much. Mm -hmm. And so the disclosure requirements could end up being very similar to that like cookie bar that pops up at the bottom of a website where you just quickly say okay and click away like right. from the GDPR. Like what do we do we really care much about that? We're just like go away. Right, right. But that could have been an AI disclosure statement and we don't that we just clicked away and don't see. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I think TikTok is a good example of that, right? There is an option for you to tick off a box when you're posting to say if it, if your post contains any AI-generated right. material or content. And when you look at the post, I mean, it's they've, they've kind of blended it into like that bottom little sort of pop-up that's part of the caption yep. and your hashtags. And if you're not looking for it, you're not really paying attention. And because... TikTok is one of those apps where you're just scrolling for eternity. No one's really looking at that fine print. It's either do I like this content and is, is it appealing or does it invoke something in me, rage or some strong emotion or not? And then I keep scrolling. So scary yeah. to think about as much as I love AI and I'm all here for like the creative, innovative things that we can do with it. I also am starting to see more and more of the potential harm, much like what you're you're talking about with the election politics. Yeah. Well, and, and really, I, one of the reasons why I want to talk about this is that it's not just politics. Like, mm -hmm. I think politics is a thing that's going to be top of mind for us this year. And obviously, one of the most applicable use cases for why misinformation and disinformation generated by AI is so insidious. Mm -hmm. But there was a story just recently about how Google News is starting to boost what the article calls AI-generated garbage. My goodness. Because even Google... <laughs> with all its bureaucratic problems that we just talked about. Yeah. Isn't really smart enough yet to catch up with what is actually AI generated and what is not. Mm -hmm. That's not that surprising to me, given if you know anything about search engine optimization, like people try to go around that shit all the time, trying to trick Google into, you know, sending search traffic into websites mm -hmm. that, you know, are not necessarily the most quote unquote authoritative on that topic. Right. Right. So, of course, they're now using the tools that we are given for generative AI to really game the system in a way that it makes it very hard for Google to interpret. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that seems spot on. I can't tell you how many times I've I've looked at Google News and I'm just like, these articles are not even semi legit or there's a lot of a lot of blog postings that pop up now on the news, the Google News feed, too, which wasn't yeah. always the case. Full. So I want to end this on a somewhat positive note because this has been super <laughs> frustrating and depressing. And I think, honestly, there's going to be many more stories on this this year that are going to make us raise an eyebrow or yeah. scream into the void. Mm -hmm. But I think what I'm hopeful about related to this is if we actually take a step back and we look up at how we get news, mm -hmm. now that Twitter has kind of I mean, Twitter has been killed and replaced by Elon Musk's ex and everyone who cared about the truth and kind of a real time conversation has dispersed onto other platforms, which has kind of capped off a longer run, you know, disintermediation of information sharing across the whole social ecosystem and where we get news. Mm -hmm. I have seen some trends back to looking for more curated stories. So it's not just coming from Social media, it's coming from a news source, yeah. whether that's a traditional news source or a creator, like we've talked about, like a specific kind of vertical of someone creating content on a specific subject. Mm -hmm. So that's a long way of saying that might help buffer this effect a little bit, because if you're following an actual person, then in theory, that person will be a little bit more qualified to talk about specific subject matter and you won't be fooled necessarily by just an onslaught of AI generated content in your feed shared by, you know, God knows who, who didn't do their due diligence mm -hmm. to actually share that story, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But, but 
there's a big but to even that. Okay. It's that we've also seen trends of people just tuning out of the news altogether. Yeah. So the question is, is it better to read the news and occasionally be hit with AI-generated garbage that you have to interpret? Or is it better to just pull out of the news altogether and not know what's going on? That's not a great choice for people to have to make. Not at all. Not at all. And how do you, for those that want to tune in and filter it, how do you filter it? How do you, if you don't spend a lot of time, you know, understanding this stuff or, you know, you and I were, were, well, I'm usually on Twitter. I know you're typically on threads, (laughs) but we have these, (laughs) I feel like we get this exposure that kind of helps us decipher and be able to discern probably more than the average person who isn't spending as much time online. So how do you actually help them and how do you build trust to help them decipher what's real and what's not? It's tough. Yeah, 100%. Well, on that cheery note, yeah. Why don't you tell us about the state of DEI this year? We've been seeing so many stories about this, and obviously we've covered it extensively on this podcast, but yeah. like this is not slowing down. So where where are we going in 2024 with DEI? You know, I feel like I I often have predictions, but it is really hard to say right now. I still stand by the fact that as long as we have humans in our workplaces, I think for anyone that is a, a new listener that hasn't really been following this sort of anti-DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion rhetoric, it, it really, I would say it really started with the decision to abolish affirmative action. I guess that was sort of spring, early summer of last year. I mean, really before that, right? Because there's a whole concerted campaign leading up to that Supreme Court Yeah, decision. so there was a lot leading up to that, but I don't think it was as prominent in the media up until that point. And then I think that was the point where people were like, oh, this is, this is a thing. <laughs> like, this is really going down. And so there were some concerted efforts in which people were filing lawsuits and basically claiming that, you know, it, it really started with a lot, of, a lot of law firms where they were attacking these law firms and saying, hey, your diversity programming or diversity initiatives are discriminatory. So it also happened to, there was a VC firm called the Fearless Fund, which still going strong which I really appreciate them pushing forward, but they basically support or try to support black women in getting VC funding. And they they were hit with a lawsuit saying that they were being discriminatory because they're excluding other people by just... And so we've seen a lot of that. There have been some other lawsuits that have been filed that have been unsuccessful. NASCAR, for example, was one. But I don't know that people are going to continue with these lawsuits. And I don't know if they're... They claim that they're achieving what they want to achieve. I'm not sure if that's the case. But that aside, we're at a point where DEI has become part of like mainstream news. And just the concept of what DEI is has been so watered down and and it, it's misunderstood right. in a lot of ways. I think there's been this push, especially by people that have power like Elon Musk, who will go on his platform and be like, oh, DEI means racism. No, that's not what DEI is at all. That is not how this works, right? And the ignorance is just very apparent. And it's really frustrating because, again, you have someone with a lot of power and a lot of reach and people who have historically trusted and believed what he said are going to hear this and they're going to run with it. A lot of people have distilled DEI down to just hiring, which is how they got to the racism part, right? It, It you're hiring just because you want to hit a number and you're not hiring for merit, which is a very deep discussion that I won't get into today. But that's not how that works. And historically, diversity and representation across the workforce in America is still not good. So if that's the case, right. please, please show us why, why are we still working to do this? Right. And so it's tough. But I think this has put a lot of companies and organizations in this situation where a lot of them are fearful. They're concerned of, you know, oh my gosh, are we going to get hit with a lawsuit? And so there's been, there've been a couple of things that I've seen. One is that people are shifting away from using the term DEI. In some cases they're, they're using the full word. So diversity, equity, and inclusion. I've seen a lot of companies start to drop the diversity out because that seems to be the triggering word for people and rely more so on equity and inclusion. I've seen equity and impact. 
See if you're catching, picking up what I'm putting down. We're getting to the alphabet soup, equity and belonging, right? It's being reshuffled. Reshuffled yet again. And most recently, I was I was seeing the use of social impact. And so that's broadening the umbrella again. I, I don't think it's the right approach. So something that like is even less defined, which is a little frustrating to me. Exactly. Social social impact or social justice. It's like, okay, but what does that mean? What 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 Have part seen are we like talking re- about? inclusion and restorative justice someone said like i'm like seen okay, that but what does that mean as it applies to like corporate governance like it's just again we're just all these things sound really academic and really smart right and in some cases sound like the right thing to do or and may even be the right thing to do but sure. i think we're we're muddying the waters of understanding how it should apply to what we are actually doing every day. Mm-hmm. Restorative justice is funny because typically the word restoration implies we're trying to get back to something and Oh yeah, I'm that's not really a, sure what about we're that. trying to get back to <laughs> in America, at least. I'm like, what? What exactly are we trying to get back to? Um, so that one's interesting. But yeah, I'm seeing a lot of alphabet suit being tossed around. I'm also seeing people being very hesitant to leverage metrics, right? So you know, legally, you should not have a quota. You should not be hitting, trying to hit a, a diversity quota where you're trying to ensure that you have specific demographics or percentages or numbers of demographics. You can set goals though. And so I think companies are being are treading a lot light a lot more lightly when it comes to setting metrics and goals or, and are fearful of that. But I also right. see even more people still pushing ahead on their initiatives. They're just not as vocal. They're not, you know, companies used to have this whole like, you must publish your your diversity numbers on your website, seeing much less of that now, which I was never a fan of because I to me I'm like your numbers are not anything to brag about but right you know here we are so yeah that's that's where we are right now again i think we're gonna see people keep you know, we're gonna keep pushing forward i i think people are certainly trying to lean more into the equity and inclusion pieces and less on the hiring front which is not a bad idea you know we always say you need to clean up house yeah. before you try and attempt to bring this diverse mix of people in and your your culture and your organization isn't actually prepared for them because then you just run into these ridiculous attrition rates. So to me, it's That's not a bad thing, you know, figuring out what is our culture, how, what are our ways of working together, looking at our, our, our promotional process. Is it fair? Is it equitable? Are we seeing certain people get ahead while others are just held back and not achieving the same things or at the same rate? So yeah, yeah. I, I that's actually super interesting. I hadn't thought about it as like if we're shifting from diversity targets, which is really what a lot of the focuses of many of these lawsuits are, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. To more like is inclusion actually working with the people we have? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That could not be a bad thing. It's not. Or at least it's a different thing, but it could be a good thing in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, good, it's good it's not a bad thing at all. I think the 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 sweet spot is when you're able to do both, right? When you're able to say, hey, right. we're we still need to hire and we're going to actually be intentional about our hiring. So I know a lot of people right. like to call it inclusive recruiting now instead of diversity recruiting. And that's what it should be, right? You should be thinking about equitable processes from start to finish, from the time you are just simply thinking about headcount that you need to fill. What are the qualifications and the actual requirements aside from the nice to haves, right, that are going to get us the right person in the door? And again, it's not about merit and all this crap that people keep pushing. It's more so are we getting the right person in the door and are we actually bringing someone in that's going to help us stretch and grow our company and be innovative? Or are we just bringing in someone who just fits this cookie cutter stamp that everyone else fits into a mold of, right? And so I think if people start there, that translates into their job posting. They're also mindful of their interview processes where they're incorporating ways to check for bias, not just individual bias, but systemic bias. And keeping just, it, it, it's all about being intentional at the end of the day, but not just picking yeah. any person to come in. And then from there, actually creating and working towards fostering a space where those people can be retained. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah, I want to I want to point out that there was a great op ed a couple days ago in mm-hmm. the Times called "Critics of DEI Forget That It Works." Mm-hmm. <laughs> which did you see that? I skimmed through that was, one. That was an interesting uh, one. Yeah, by a couple of Harvard professors, yeah. and basically there's a there's a great quote in this that reminded me of what you're saying earlier, mm-hmm. which is in terms of 
like stuck at diversity targets. It says, in our experience, many organizations working on DEI goals are getting stuck at the diversity stage, recruiting difference without managing it effectively. Yep. And generating frustration and cynicism about their efforts along the way. They're now at risk of stopping in the middle of a complex change journey, declaring failure prematurely. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually a really good way to put it is that we get we get in our heads about like how many representative people should we have from all these different, you know, marginalized groups or, you know, uh, all the different ways we can be diverse, but right. we don't. And, and I think part of that is like, because it's easy to see and somewhat easy to measure mm-hmm. somewhat, not, not always, but somewhat. Sure. And whereas the inclusion stuff feels a little softer and, and harder to like make progress on. Do you think that's a fair characterization? I, I don't know that it's harder to make progress on. I think, uh, I think a couple of things uh, come to mind, right? One, I think that people, especially leaders, get so hung up on quantitative numbers that they forget how important and effective it is to track qualitative bits of information about how mm. people are faring in a workplace, right? How someone's feeling right. is, is, is very relevant and can be connected to quantifiable numbers of, okay, if I look at this specific population of people with these identities that are in this role with this tenure and they're sharing similar sentiments, we got a problem, right? <laughs> like Houston, we have a problem. Let's do something about it. And I think that's yeah. where a lot of organizations miss because to your point, they're so focused on the diversity. Let's hire, let's get all these people in. And then they also fail to make the connection with equity and inclusion as it relates to leadership and management. So people, I, yeah. I do a lot of workshops with managers where we're talking about psychological safety and we're talking about things like structuring a one-on-one and they're like, I had no idea this was DEI work. And I'm like, yes, this is, this is it. <laughs> like it's getting you to a point that you can actually retain your people and that you can understand that you're no longer, managers are not supposed to just Well, at this point, you're no longer able to just assign tasks and say, yes, this person did it. No, this person did it. Because unfortunately, a lot of organizations no longer are investing in learning and development as they should be. And so it falls on the managers who may or may not get the training and the continuous education to support their teams. And that, I think, is where a lot of companies and organizations are failing. And again, they're so caught up on diversity as just race, ethnicity and gender that they fail to realize your team can share the same racial makeup and mostly the same gender and still be drastically different and you can still have major issues. So yeah. um, again, where there are all these, these little bits that all these anti-DEI sentiments just don't even bring to the, the forefront and a lot of people aren't even aware of them. Well, this is fascinating and I'm always excited to talk to you about this thing that I know that you're very passionate about and also constantly frustrated by. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And, you know, we've got a stake in the game too. Like we've seen our own clients affected by this like downturn and prioritization of of DEI. And it's super frustrating because it feels like they were just starting to make inroads. Mm. And to the point of the op-ed, you know, authors like we're at risk of stopping before we even really started, before we got to the good, meaty kind of transformation work. And, you know, I was relating this back as I was reading about this this week, about how many corporate transformations we go through that mm-hmm. are half-assed. Mm. Like, it's it's wild to me. So I work yeah. in a lot of change management work, as you know. And if you think about, like, diversity, equity, inclusion, if you think about, like, digital transformation, if you think about like basically the incorporation of anything big and important where a company wants to be seen as we are mastered at this. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many different iterations we have to go through where people look at what's the minimum viable version of this versus what's the best version. Right. Oof. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we we half fund things, we half ask things, and then we want to move on to the next shiny thing that we're supposed to be mastered at. And then we half fund and half ask that. And in And then we have this big kind of messy bureaucracy where things are kind of only half, we're only half good at like several things instead of being really good at a couple things. Like it's kind of wild. Yeah, yeah. There's something like really human about that, right? Mm -hmm. Like about how we approach that and how we think about building in capability to our organizations, almost like we do to ourselves. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to study to the test and do the bare minimum 
instead of what actually would get me, you know, a better capability in this area. Like I do that, do that to myself right. all the time. That's a great example because maybe it's just our collective learned behavior from just pushing through school, which people have a lot of feelings around that. Like they're, you right? go to, you're forced to go to all these classes and I don't sit here and, you know, measure isosceles triangles during the day, but I guess I needed like, <laughs> according to someone, I needed to go and, you know, take all these, these math classes. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's part of how, how we rush. Like we're, we're constantly told everything is urgent. I think that's part of it. Oh, yes. I think it's part of how we don't know how to manage the influx of information we get. And mm-hmm. so we, we kind of end up taking on too too much information about too many things and not going deep on any subjects. Right. There's like so many structural things. We should we should have a whole podcast on that. We should. About we should. just like how to do transformation well, I think. That would be great. Anyway, let's end this with some good news. I could really use some good news this Me week. Too. I don't know about you, Adriel. Me too. <laughs> All right. What's your good news you're bringing to us for the week, Adriel? Not surprising, but <laughs> related to DEI, apparently the gender pay gap is the smallest that it's ever been in the U.S. And so while the, the gap is varied amongst racial and ethnic groups, the median weekly earnings for all women recently equaled 83.8% of that of men. So and this is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. So again, this goes back to that that opinion piece for folks that are critical of DEI, right? And so a lot of this is attributed to there being a lot more transparency around pay. I've, I've seen it myself where you look at job postings now, you at least see salary ranges, which is now a law in 10 states. And there's also been a lot more transparency internally at organizations where they're sharing salary information. And then I think also like these these sort of anonymous social platforms, professional social platforms like Fishbowl, Blind is another one. I think that's contributed to helping people have more transpa- transparency and visibility around right. salary and pay. So Yeah, totally. I mean, good news. I mean, it's, it's, good news. it's kind of depressing that like, this is the cl- the closest the gender pay gap's been, and it's still what would you say eighty three percent of what a man makes? Eighty three point eight percent. Still got quite a few. We've got a ways to percentage go. points to yeah. make up there. Yeah, but, but it's good progress. news that it's closing. Absolutely, exactly. exactly. Absolutely. To our point about the moral arc of the universe being long and feeling very cyclical, but it does move in the right direction with people's efforts. Yes, that's the important part. People advocating for it, making making sure it happens over time, and that's right. Discouraged. Speaking of something that is long and feels like it's not ever making any progress on and we constantly get discouraged about, mm. climate change. Oh, yes. So <laughs> the my good news is that U.S. climate pollution fell in 2023 by nearly 10%, even as the economy grew. Hmm. We know the economy had kind of a banner year last year unexpectedly, but Climate pollution fell largely due to the shuttering of coal-fired power plants. Interesting. Yeah. This is data from the nonpartisan group Rhodium that measures falling emissions. And I would like to say that I was really excited to see this. And this is good news. The war against climate change is really a war of attrition. But these are important indicators, you know, for the U.S. to be able to brag about to other industrialized nations, Mm -hmm. right? Because it is hard when the U.S. and China aren't really cutting back on their climate emissions to make the case that other countries should. Yeah, it's great news. It, I, at least it feels like great news. <laughs> like my, my sort of track for cl- the climate change is always the weather. And I'm, I'm just increasingly <laughs> more shocked. Like it was just 20 degrees here in New York. And by the end of this week, it's going to be like 56, almost 60 degrees. And I'm just, I, I can't wrap my head around Weird. it. It's very strange. Yeah. Similarly here, it was like zero degrees last week. And Mm -hmm. now it's going to get back into like unseasonably warm. We're in that part of winter where everything just looks and feels gross. Yeah. You know, like in Chicago, all the streets are dirty and it's constantly overcast. And you're just like, this place is terrible. That's that's the part (laughs) of the year we're in. Yeah. Why do I live here? The why do I live here part of the year. Definitely. I need to get one of those sad lamps. I need to look into that. 
I was just thinking about that. Yeah. yeah. Send us in. This will be a, a leadership request. Yes. Please send us your <laughs> reviews of the saddest of lamps for all our at-home office spaces. Please. That would be great. We need it. We need it. All right. Thanks so much, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with more deep dives into the business news of the week from the, the perspective of people that want business to be better, including DEI, but not exclusive to DEI. <laughs> That's right. Send us your comments at leadership.show on our website or at leader, S-H underscore T on Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and we will be back next week. Thanks so much. See you then. Thanks for listening to Leadership. Our producer is Dave Sandell. Thinking about starting your own podcast? Connect with him at davesandell.com. You can find more information about Caleb and his work and even hire him to speak on change leadership at calebgardner.com or 18coffees.com and find his book, No Point B, Rules for Leading Change in the New Hyperconnected, Radically Conscious Economy, wherever books are sold. You can find more about me, Adrielle, and my diversity, equity, and inclusion work at adrielleparker.com. You can also subscribe to my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash adrielleparker for more candid discussions on DEI and for more insight on inclusive leadership.